Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. So welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. We're happy to be back with you again. We had some issues with the blog, some kind of massive attack on the website that brought it down. So uh, I'm happy to get that back up because I was really worried for like a week. (laughs) It's like they got it back and it went back down again, but Gail and I are back and you should have been able to hear our episode that kicked off the year where we kind of recapped 2020 and told you about our plans for 2021. So also during that episode, we announced a giveaway that we were doing with Libro FM. So of course, the date that we gave for the end of the giveaway was wrong. So if you're just now listening to this, and we also had some kind of snafu where the episode that it was uploaded was a previous episode and it wasn't the right one. I don't know. We have lots going on here. So if you want to listen to that episode, if you had gone to listen to that episode and you got the old episode, we straightened that out. So the the episode, um, our welcome back or our 2021 welcome episode is up with that giveaway. So you can now go back and listen to it if you happen to download it in the first couple of days and you got the wrong thing. And in that episode, you will hear our giveaway that we are now extending to February 25th. So it's, um, it's three free months of, um, audiobooks. So you will get three months of free listening, um, from Libro FM, which is a great supporter of independent bookstores. So, um, please check it out. And as Nicole said, we apologize for the technical issues, <laughs> not how we wanted to start off the year. No, <laughs> no. not at all. No, but <sighs> the only other announcement that I will make is that Gail and I are recording this episode. I'm not sure if it's snowing near you, but it is coming down where I am. So you might hear, uh, I just heard a fire truck go by. Um, I've heard snow plows this morning. It may be kind of sleeting, so I kind of hear that on my air conditioner. Uh, you know, things I can't control. Just letting you know, yeah, just in case you hear anything strange. It's snowing here too, and I've I've heard the guy going up and down the street a little bit too. So you might hear some scraping. Right. All right. So February okay. Super Bowl Sunday. February Super Bowl Sunday. Do you have a favorite today? I don't know. I'm so torn. I'm kind of torn. I like all the coaching staff on the Bucks. Uh, I can't say that I'm super excited to see Tom Brady win another Super Bowl, but I kind of feel like Tampa deserves it, especially since Kansas City won last year. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Maybe give it to someone else because I feel like Kansas City is going to win for a while. Yeah. Break up the dynasty for a year. Right. Please. I, I feel like they're going to you know, they're going to be doing their thing for quite some time. So maybe give it to the other guys. I I guess I don't have, I would be okay either way. Um, Maybe 55% for the bucks. Okay. 
All right. You have no... I have a dog in this fight. I don't know. I mean, I guess I kind of want to see Tom Brady win. He's like 42. It's kind of impressive. Um, And I think it's nice when the same team doesn't win two years in a row. And I feel like Tampa, like, I don't know. It might be nice for the local... That's true. It's been 25 years or 40 years or something that I don't even... No, they've had a, um, they've had a good run of sports this year because the Rays made it pretty far into the postseason for baseball. So it's kind of exciting for them. I love how you can bring that baseball element into it because I have no idea. (laughs) That's how I am with football. So I'm just making my way through this conversation. (laughs) Um, all right. So today... Um, we have a couple things to cover. We'll talk about what we've been reading. We have some book news, and then we'll get into our main topic. Um, you want to talk about what you're reading? What am I reading? So I'm reading The Boys Club by Erica Katz, which you recommended. You said that you really liked it, and I really like it too. I kind of see what you mean as in it's not like The Firm or anyone is on the run or anything, but it is very suspenseful in terms of her career at this law firm, which is a boys club and how she finds her way in the very competitive world of mergers and acquisitions. So I'm probably about a third of the way through that. And then I'm also reading the last story of Minna Lee. And I'm really liking that. So I don't think I've finished anything since we last spoke, but those are some updates that you can look forward to from me in the, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Nice. Okay. How how about you? Uh, Let's see. I can't remember where we were last time, but uh, I finished the Colin Jost memoir, Very Punchable Face, which I did on audio and highly recommend. It was very funny. And I found myself as I was driving, I'd be like laughing out loud in my car. And I think I was listening to it maybe during like the Capitol insurrection, which was like the opposite of funny. And I felt like this weightiness of what was going on around me. And then I'd escape into like, you know, 20 minutes with Colin Jost and I would be laughing just out loud. And like you and I talk about this a lot, that books that are often billed as funny, we don't find funny. This one I found really funny. So if you watch SNL or you are interested in stand-up or the life of a writer on a comedy show, you'll get a lot of good background information. And he's just extremely entertaining and he narrates the audio. So I highly recommend that. Yeah, I remember you being very excited about that one, reading that one and finding something that was actually funny. Yeah, this one lived up to the hype. Um, I read White Ivy, which is a book that you and I talked about, I think on a preview show last year. This is by Susie Yang. Yes, I bought that one. Yeah. So I have, Uh no, no, I mean, it's not all bad. I have complicated feelings about White Ivy. Um, it's, I do agree with others who have pointed out that the marketing of this book is a little off. People who call it like a a thriller or a tale of obsession. I don't agree with that. I don't think that's what this is. Um, it is a story about a young woman who grows up. She's Asian, she's Chinese, and she grows up in outside Boston. 
And she's kind of struggling to fit in because she's got, you know, surrounded by these white families and she's Asian and her family's different. Her parents are different. She can't, not allowed to do a lot of the things that other kids do. And she develops a crush on a kid in like middle school or maybe even sixth grade. And then um, she does something bad and her mom finds out and she's sent to China for the summer to live with her relatives. And when she comes back, her family has uprooted and moved to New Jersey. So she never, you know, loses touch with this boy that she always had the crush on. And she runs across him many years later living in Boston and they get reacquainted and then they start dating. And it's about that relationship. And, you know, she, it's kind of about her struggle to sort of reconcile the the life of who she is and her identity with who she wants to be and who she aspires to be. And he comes from this kind of Brahmin Boston family. And it's about their relationship. And I, I actually really liked it. I think her writing was fantastic. And the, just the beautiful use of detail and description. She's really good. I had some issues with the main character and I felt like she acted, you know, super inconsistently at times. And I maybe that's the point of the book is that she did feel the push pull of both cultures and what she wanted. But so there were parts of it that didn't feel like a hundred percent true to me or genuine to me, but I still really liked it and I would recommend it. I'd love to hear what you think of it if you read it. Okay. It was it is on the big TBR pile that's stacked next to my book bed that's fifty deep. That that's teetering. That yeah. is teetering. Yeah. Well, it's a shelf of its own. It's one of those like invisible shelves. So uh-huh. <laughs> uh I tried to make myself not buy anything um if there's not space on that shelf because got it, you know, balance. <laughs> but that was one of the things that I said I was, wanted to focus on is reading the books on that shelf because I feel like 2020, those are books that I would have read last year that yeah. I just could not get my mind around. Yep. Uh, so it is on the list. Yeah, I liked it. Um, I also read a romance, very unlike me. I read The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Oh, which... that's so funny because I'm going to mention that in an update. Oh, so, but go on. That's exciting. So this is a book about a woman who is autistic and she is kind of reaching an age where she would really like to have a partner and, you know, be with someone. She's getting pressure from her mother to get married and have kids, but she doesn't really know how to be physical with someone. She's had a few sexual experiences that were very unpleasant and unfulfilling for her. And she feels like she's not good at it and doesn't know what she's doing. So she hires a male escort to teach her about sex, basically. And then, of course, she and the male escort (laughs) develop feelings for each other. And they start to fall in love. And then what's going to happen? Like, are they going to, you know stay together and what does it mean? So I had issues with this book. Like there, (laughs) she, um, I found that she, I liked the depiction of autism and I liked the fact that, and the author herself, um, sort of discovered in the process of writing this book that she herself is autistic. And so she writes from a, that's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And she obviously writes from a place of familiarity and she knows what she's talking about. And I don't think that she kind of 
inaccurately depicted autism. I mean, I, not that I, not that I can judge that, but it felt to me to be accurate. What I didn't like was that I felt like her relationship with Michael, the escort was sort of curing her. And I didn't like that notion that she needed to be cured. Like I want, I, they did meet on common ground and he like was very accepting of who she was, but I felt like, like all she needed was like good sex to kind of shake her out of certain things. And that, <laughs> I, that kind of bothered me. I just felt like that. I didn't like that being the message of the book. And it surprised me as well, knowing that the author herself was autistic, was autistic. It just, I don't know. That kind of bothered me. On the plus side, it's very steamy. There's lots of <laughs> lots of detail. Um, so if you like your books on the R-rated side, then um, you will enjoy this one. It's yeah. It's I love that. That's a plus for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not, right? Um, so yeah. So I liked it. I mean, it was a fast read and um, it, it fast and interesting read. It just had some issues with the kind of the the message at the end. And then the last one that I've finished for the show is The Girls from Corona Del Mar by Rufy Thorpe. This is the second book I've read by Rufy Thorpe after The Knockout Queen, which I read last year. And this is a book about two women growing up in California, their friends in high school, and the kind of twists and turns that their lives take over the next, say, 15 years, and the sort of complicated relationship they have with each other. It's not what I expected. I don't know. The title suggests something sort of more like light and glamorous than it is. It's, it's Rufy Thorpe. And if you've read the knockout queen or any of her other books, you know, they're going to be dark. There's going to be a lot of depressing stuff that happens. They're a little twisted in some ways, but I, I, I really like her writing and I really like her stories. I just, I am amazed that her mind comes up with there's so much like detail and specificity and I, like she's got an amazing imagination and I liked this one a lot. So I think I liked the knockout queen a little better, but I liked this one too. And I was eager to see where it, how it ended. So I recommend that okay. one too. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. That's good. It. Um, so circling back to what I want to follow up on about, the kiss quotient is that we had in our last episode, we had this conversation about what is considered BIPOC and what is considered own voices. So for own voices, it is specifically, it features diverse representation from an author that also identifies as that specific representation. And there are, there's actually a list, a reading list on Goodreads that is autis, autism own voices fiction. And the Kiss Quotient was on there. So was Big Girl, Small Town. Oh, I read that one. Yep. That's why I made a note of it. Is that, so the author of Big Girl, Small Town is autistic? Yes. Okay. I think I knew that. According to this list and. Okay. Um, that makes sense. Was that book about, I didn't realize that book was, was it even about autism? Or not, I guess the main um, character was I th- she autistic. She is, it's not, um. It's not kind of overtly, she's not overtly defined that way, the way she is in The Kiss Quotient. There are cues along the way with Big Girl, Small Town that signal to you that she's autistic. I mean, things about loud noise and things about routine, but she's not, I don't think that she herself either has been diagnosed or she doesn't talk about it. Okay. 
so yeah, just wanted to follow up on that point um, of discussion that we had as we were, you know, talking about categorizing our books and figuring out uh, what categories they fall in if we want to track them. Mm-hmm. That that was the definition for own voices. Uh, so, and then I have other questions that I make notes of to follow up with Gail on things. And so my question for this month or from last episode was what is your book of the month pick for this month? Oh, great question. Did you pick anything? I or did. did you skip? Nope, I did. So first of all, I did an add on because I couldn't resist and I got the push because Ooh. I just really want to read that. Yeah. Um, so that was the add on and my February main pick is the kindest lie by Nancy Johnson. Oh, I want to read that. What did you pick? That sounds good. Well, I think I told you, I don't know if I mentioned it on the show that I had returned to the book of the month fold to get books that were, if I was interested in a mystery thriller or something that I had a feeling that I would not want to hold on to. Mm Mm-hmm for a long time that I would get that. Um, I got the new Jane Harper, the survivors, okay. which I was all had started listening to on audio because it was a, it was a Libro FM. Uh, they have like this, you can get advanced reviewer copies. And I just wasn't, I knew that I liked Jane Harper's books cause I read the dry, which I really liked. I couldn't get with the narrator for this one. So I just got the book. Okay. And then this month I skipped because I didn't really want, well, at the time, yeah, I didn't want any of those books. I mean, the one that you got, I would probably buy just because I think it might be more of a, in the keeper category. Mm -hmm. And then you can't add on unless you select a book, which is so annoying. It is annoying. I'm just like, if I want to spend $16 for that book instead of $9.99, why won't you let me? Right. Please let me give you my money. (laughs) (laughs) But they wouldn't let me, so I have to wait till next month to um, see if I want something and then see if I can get the add-ons that I was looking for. Maybe they do that because they've got a certain number of the main books that they have to sell. And so they need to give people an incentive to pick a main choice. And probably... But if you don't want that book, you're just not going to get it, right? You're going to skip it. And at first when I thought I was... When I skipped it, I was just, are they going to charge me again? But apparently you just, they don't charge you for that month and you just have that one credit. So it's not like you can even build credits. Right. Um, So looking at the picks, so Girl A I have in the house anyway, so that I didn't, I I was interested in it, but it came as a review copy. So I have that. And the other thing is I'm seeing this four wins everywhere. And people are saying it's amazing. I've never read any Kristen Hanna. So I wasn't going to jump into Kristen Hanna, but... I have The Great Alone and I have not read it yeah, yet. Same. And I think I got it book of the month. Yeah, I have it sitting here too and I've never read it. I did start her um, Firefly Lane on Netflix, but I've, I've heard <laughs> that, they're, that it's really different from the book. Is Firefly Lane an adult book or is it, is it like a romance? No, it's adult. It's, a, it's like a friendship. It's a book about two women who are friends over many years. I think it just popped up on Netflix. Who's in it? Ashley Judd, right? No, it's it's so funny. She looks like Ashley Judd right now. It's Katherine Heigl, but her hair is dark really? and she looks like Ashley oh, Judd. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Katherine Heigl. I think I was looking and it popped up and I was like, oh, you know, 
Is that Ashley yeah, Judd? Yeah, no, it looks My a lot like, like her. Um, Ashley, I mean, yeah, Ashley Judd, Catherine Heigl and Sarah Chalk. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like not, it's, uh, put it this way, I've been watching it while I make dinner. Like I put it on okay. the small TV in the kitchen on uh, Netflix and I make dinner. So it's not like riveting, can't miss a second of television. That sounds like when you're kind of doing something a little mindless at work and you want some voices in the background. I'm always looking for stuff like yeah, that. Well, I'd, that. I'd notch it one up from that. That's The Bachelor for me. Like when you need something okay, mindless. I have to yeah. kind of pay a little bit of a attention. A little bit more attention than that because you'll miss, because it, it jumps around in time a lot. So I think that you would, you would f- find yourself less productive at work than you would want. <laughs> then, because I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about, like soundtrack TV. That's what I, that's for me is the bachelor. Um, Okay. Yeah. Actually, that's a good idea because I am kind of curious about the Tasha season and I guess the bachelor. The um, bachelor season right now is pretty good. I like him. So to just kind of listen in the background, Mm -hmm. because I'm not usually a reality person, but I feel like that's good for, I don't want to sit here in the quiet by myself for nine hours. You can watch an entire episode of the bachelor without actually looking up from your laptop. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and still absorb everything Good you need to, know. to have. So I think it's the perfect fit. Okay. And did you watch Bridgerton yet? That was my other question. I've started it. Yes. I like it no. a lot. I've watched two episodes. Okay. Three, maybe three. Um, I'm enjoying it. And you've watched so the Do you thing, like the right? costumes? Yes. Yes. Costumes, the music. I mean, it isn't like um, also like high intellectual... It, it, <laughs> not like intellectually demanding, but it's really, it's really entertaining. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was trying to explain. Like I watched it, I binged it. Uh, It was, it was good. It was fine, but it's not like, I don't know. It was weird. It's just, I don't, it just works. Yeah. (laughs) Just works. It works. It works. It's good pandemic TV. Yes. I'll agree there. All right. Speaking of TV. Um, since we're talking about kind of industry stuff, there are a bunch of books coming to movies slash TV this year, which I wanted to mention. Okay. Um, okay. So I have one too. Oh, good. All right. So the woman in the window, a book that we've talked about a lot on this show is kind of becoming out on Netflix starring Amy Adams conversations with friends, which is the Sally Rooney novel that I did not like is coming out on Hulu, but it's by the same producer who did Normal People, which is the... So you might like yeah. the adaptation better than you like the book. I think that's right. Um, I did not like the book, but I did love Normal People, both the book and the adaptation. So I'm willing to give this one a shot. It's a 12-episode series. Now, what didn't you like about Conversations with Friends? I'm trying to figure out if I should read that one. Oh boy, if can I remember... It was about like these two friends who befriend a married couple and then they start to have all these relationships with the, both the wife and the husband. I think like they're having affairs with both of them. I, I don't remember. I feel like it was like not enough happened. And I, you know, I'll have to refresh why I didn't like it. Um, I'll have to go back and okay. read my review. It's been several years now since I read it. I just, I had trouble connecting with the characters and like sort of like understanding their motivations and what they were doing. Um, okay. I don't know. I felt very differently about that book than I did about normal people, which I liked a lot. So, and you know, her third book I think is going to be coming out this year. So that'll be interesting since you didn't like one, like the other to see if she's developing 
this means she's developing it in a direction that you enjoy or right. was normal people sort of a one-off right. that you enjoyed. So you're, you're a completist for her. Is, is it just the two that she has? Yeah, I guess I am. I think so. Okay, Nine Perfect Strangers by Leanne Moriarty. I did not read this book, but it is coming in, out in Hulu, starring Regina Hall, Nicole Kidman, and uh, Melissa McCarthy. I might try to read that. Yeah. I had tried to read it before. I didn't get, I, I got um, nowhere. <laughs> the main character, one of the main characters is in her car on the way to the resort and I never made it past that. <laughs> and it got such horrible reviews. I know. And I was coming off the book before that, which I absolutely hated. Yeah. Well, then maybe you don't need to read it. So we'll see. Um, okay. Cherry. It's a book I never read, but I have sitting on my shelf about an army medic turned bank robber is coming out in theaters on February 26th. And then it will be on Apple TV plus. I had that for the longest time sitting around the house and I never realized that that was what it was about. Yeah. That's what it's about. Um, Daisy Jones and the six is going to be, uh, a Amazon prime series by Reese Witherspoon, which I guess I would watch that. I don't know. I don't know. I listened to the audio. So yeah, I kind of don't know. I mean, the audio was it was Benjamin Bratt, who was the main, one of the main characters. And I forgot who voiced Daisy. I don't know. Cause I did uh, it. In front. Yeah. I can't, I don't know if I would watch that. Yeah given time constraints and so, so much other stuff. Right now I'm watching The Queen's Gambit. So good. Which is also based on a book. Right. And then finally, The Last Letter from Your Lover by Jojo Moyes, which I never read, but I think it may be in the house somewhere. Um, that is Felicity Jones, Shailene Woodley, and Joe Alwyn. And that will be on Netflix about a contemporary London journalist who find letters from a 1960s romance. Yeah, I think my mom read that. She liked it. What did you have to add to the list? Passing, uh, which is a book by Nell, Nella Larson. It was kind of, it was written in uh, the Harlem during the Harlem Renaissance. She was a Harlem Renaissance writer who I think most people don't really have her on their radar. I read that book. I don't know, maybe three or four years ago. It's a novella. I really loved it. I think I've mentioned it at one other point during the show. If you like The Vanishing Half, it would also be really interesting because it's about these two friends. They are both black. One is passing as white and has married a white man. And the other has married a black man and they run into each other. You know, like they are estranged friends. They run into each other. And I think they're living in New York. It's a city, so it's either New York or Boston. Running in, into each other, reestablish their friendship, and it just has like these very dramatic consequences for both their lives. I mean, the one who's passing is white. She's married to someone who is, uh, I think he's a racist. Um, and yeah, so there's just lots of dynamics. It talks a lot about identity, not only their identity as black women or white women, but also like gender identity and, and how women, women's roles in the home. Um, so Rebecca Hall is, is adapting it. And there was like this big article, uh, Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega are going to be playing the friends. And 
you know, it was an article on whether she should be able to tell this story because she is a white woman, but she is a white woman who discovered that her mother actually is black or half black. So, and I think that when she made that discovery, a friend of hers sent her this novella passing that she read and just kind of became obsessed with, with uh, adapting and it's going to be a movie. So it's out at some point, 2021, you know, I'll keep an eye out for it and uh, let you know, because I'm really interested in reading it. Nice. I mean, seeing it. Yep. It's one of those that, you know, I read this book and I was like, oh, this is such a good book. It would make a great adaptation. This was years ago. So it's, I'm always gratified when I see things that I would have made as movies pop up. Mm-hmm. It's a very good affirmation of your taste. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I got. Yeah. That's all I had too. Okay. I mean, I think we had so much going on for this week that we needed to make in terms of announcements that I really did not um, look for too much book news. I also did not have as much time because I was going back and forth with the web host trying to recover our site. Yes. <laughs> God, I'm sorry. Please find it. <laughs> um, all right. So what we wanted to talk about this month, it's February, it's Black History Month. Um, and we wanted to do, I said to Gail, it would be fun to do something, an anti-racist reading list, which were big over the summer, over last summer, the summer of 2020, but to do a fictional version because those books are worthwhile and valuable. But I think to empathy is something that you can never ignore. And I think that fiction a lot of times presents things in a way that can get to us a lot more easily than just facts about things. You know, facts are horrible, but, you know, I guess facts wrapped in a face, even if it's fictional, can sometimes help bridge that gap. And as usual, neither Gail, well, we did, she did, Gail did share her book list with me and I'm glad she did because we don't want to have the same books. And this is, um, I think this topic would have been easy for us for, I think the last couple of years to maybe we've read some of the same books for our book club or whatever. So we will each share why we chose the books that we did because we had a lot of overlap. And then I went back and took a look and presented some other options because too, I wanted to mention things that maybe are older, don't get as much attention, but I thought it would be just really good to consider, consider some of these, um, these issues and topics through fiction. All right. Well, why don't you kick us off? I feel bad that I displaced some of the ones on your list. So (laughs) if we end up with overlap, I think it's, it's not the end of the world, but why don't you go ahead and start? I only, I picked three to mention. And then those three, I think, had books that either fiction or nonfiction that were similar and can shed additional light. But the nonfiction ones that I did pick, none of them are kind of textbooks or anything on race. They're more on people's lives. So everything that I wanted to mention is narrative. Plus, 
at the end, I'll give you a list of just a list because there are lots of books that we either we've mentioned before or we just won't have time, but I think are worthwhile to check out. So the first book on my list is The Twelve Tribes of Hattie by Ayanna Mathis. And this book came out, let's see, it's 2021. I want to say it came out in 2017 or 2018. It is about the Great Migration. It's told um, through this woman, Hattie Shepard, who in 1923, when she's 15 years old, leaves Georgia to have a new life. She settles in Philadelphia. Um, the man that she marries is, <laughs> I guess the book cover says he's destined to be a disappointment. But early in their marriage, she gives birth to twins who die because they don't have enough money to afford the medicine that would have cured them. Like, I don't know. I don't remember if it was like an antibiotic or, but she suffers this tragedy that could have easily have been avoided, but she did not have the money. She goes on to have an additional, I think, nine or 10 children. And the book is called The 12 Tribes of Patty. So even though she is kind of the matriarch and She's the main character in a sense. You do not get her story through her words. You get them through the words of, of her children. So um, it's a really good book. Like just because she's, she's trying to have a new life, she suffered a horrible tragedy and it really shapes the way she interacts with each of her children. You know, some who don't have the same father, uh, it includes, I guess, the knocks that she has experienced in her life. Um, and that all goes into how she treats each of her children and how she shapes their world. So that's how you get to know her. And, you know, each of the children, some of them grow up and are successful, but some are troubled. So it, it was just like a really interesting way to look at her life nice. and the great migration. And I would say something that's like this is The Travelers by Regina Porter that I really loved, even though that was about a black and a white family and how they have kind of traversed from north to south um, through the heavy movement of members of their family who are migrating to escape racism, to get, you know, better opportunities, to have better jobs. So I would say that. And then I also read the world according to Fanny Davis, which is just kind of fascinating because it's about a woman whose family went to Detroit during the great migration. And this woman is basically a numbers runner. And it's all about how she figured out how to make her book, how she protected her family, the things that she went through, you know, with her daughter, not really knowing that that's what she was doing. And when she figured out um, what she was doing, how she decided to tell the story so these are all books that touch on the great migration. The first two I mentioned are fiction, and that last one is nonfiction. Okay, so my first pick is a book that we've talked about on the show a lot, and it's Sing Unburied Sing by Jessamyn Ward. And this is a book about a family who um, the mother in the family is has a, a drug addiction. She is involved with a white man. She has two kids, but she's not very present because, um, you know, because of her addiction. And so the kids are really basically being raised by the grandparents. And then the, 
can't remember if they're married or not. Her partner is um, going to be released from jail. And so she road trips with her kids to go pick him up in prison and bring them back. And, and we talked a lot about this book when we, you and I have both read it. And um, what I found so powerful about this book is how much it highlights the different experiences of being black and white. And uh, the fact that there is this mixed couple makes that uh, dichotomy very stark. And there's a couple of instances in the book that I think really drive the point home. Um, When they're driving back from the prison, um, the mother is driving and they're pulled over by the police and she's treated terribly by the police. And, you know, despite the fact that there's like two white people sitting in the car, you see the, you know, sort of the immediate, impact of being black and what happens when you are confronted by the police and, you know, how much of an impact that incident had not only on her, but on her son, who's sort of watching from the backseat and is, you know, terrified. Um, The other incident that happens on the way back is they stop and they visit the parents of her partner who are white and who treat her and her kids terribly. And so the, Jessamine Ward just kind of sets up these parallel experiences, especially juxtaposing the two grandparents against, you know, the the black grandparents against the white grandparents. And you see this all through the prism of the son, Jojo, who identifies as black and who is kind of seeing a lot of the challenges he will face in his future ahead of him. So there's kind of this undercurrent of like unease and fear and this kind of background of violence that runs through the whole book that I think it will just very like viscerally and immediately show, you know, what the challenges he will face. So as a white person, I found this to be a super um, powerful book because she just makes it feel so immediate and like you're just confronting it right in front of you. So that is my first pick. All right. So my next pick is a book called A Life Apart by L.Y. Marlowe. And this book is set in the 1940s. It's about this white man, Morris Sullivan, whose life is saved by a black sailor who dies in in the conflict. I'm not sh- I don't remember whether he dies actually saving him or if he dies later. But once he realizes who saves him, he goes because he wants to thank the family. He realizes that the sailor's dead and he goes and he finds uh the sailor's sister in Boston to let her know that you know how thankful he is and just what her brother has done for him. But when he goes <clears throat> He goes to meet her and they have like this immediate connection and he is newly married. Like he has just quickly before the war and I guess without putting too much thought into it, married his high school sweetheart, but they sense a very powerful connection between them. And it's all about their lives and their relationship with each other as it carries on over the generations and the years. So it's historical fiction. It is, it's, it was so good. Like I just, I just read this very quickly. 
Um, so a lot about just life for black and white families and I guess the restrictions in them having relationships with each other, the restrictive life of black people. Um, also as I guess part of the great migration, uh, it was a really great book. I also, uh, the author, she does a lot of work with intimate partner violence. And so she has this, um, foundation that she set up that I thought was really interesting because I'm looking for like this year I decided to, instead of contributing to charitable organizations haphazardly to be more organized about it and like dedicate a certain percentage and have, have a certain amount of money that I want to donate and figuring out which charities I want to do. So I was excited to read about hers. So, and just a note on how I chose my books is because it is Black History Month, all the books that I chose are from, are written by Black authors about their own experiences. Some involve racism or the great migration, but some that I mention are just about Black people being normal and living normal lives, which I think it's anti-racist to accept and, and be comfortable with. Perhaps even more than stories about extreme situations. I think that's a really good point. Just normal people living normal lives is a great way of just normalizing, like just making the point that people are not different. Yeah. And sometimes racist situations or microaggressive situations or less than ideal situations pop up, but sometimes they don't. Or they don't have to be centered in fiction in the books. Right. Uh, okay. So my next book is The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead, another book that you and I have talked about a lot in the show. And this is a book um, which actually I think takes racism head on. Um, this is about a young man who is a very promising and diligent and ambitious student who basically finds himself in the wrong place at the wrong time and gets sent to a reform school for boys. And the reform school basically takes black boys and white boys and separates them and treats them completely differently when they, once they get to this institution and the black boys are horribly mistreated and given, you know, little to no education at all and are just abused and in many cases killed while they're at the school. And this is a lot about cruelty. And to me, this book is, you know, about, this is kind of the opposite of what you were just talking about, but about kind of how fate often, um, this kind of notion of being in the wrong place at the wrong time and how it can have these just terrible, irreparable repercussions that you figure would not happen to someone who was white, but routinely happen to people who are black and then how it just sends their life on a completely different trajectory. Um, I would also put an American marriage in that camp because it's that type of incident that leads to the 
imprisonment of one of the main characters and sets that the main events of that book also completely in motion. So um, I think it's how racism can just create such incredibly unfair circumstances that are impossible to unwind or get out of. So my next book is When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole. I mentioned, I just, this is one of the books that I read at the beginning of this year. I don't know if I really was a, got into it that much. So it is about this woman who has moved back to her family home after she has been through a divorce. So she's kind of in licking her wounds. Her mom is not in residence in the apartment. I think uh, she's in a nursing home at the time. And the book starts off with her taking this tour of Brooklyn, you know, um, where the tour guys are just pointing out a history that is alternate to the history that she knows. Like she's grown up in Brooklyn. She knows about the community, but this is basically just focused on either white people who used to live in the neighborhood and the mansions, the grandeur that the neighborhood used to have. So this neighborhood is in the process of gentrifying and she decides that she wants to write her own tour of the neighborhood and the importance of the landmarks there. She has a white neighbor who lives across the street, someone who at a community meeting volunteers to help her with this research. So as they begin to um, put together what they are going to be presenting for their tour, they're noticing changes in the neighborhood. They're noticing that people are going missing, like they're having mysterious run-ins with sinister characters. And they start to try to piece together what is actually going on. Like maybe this this history of misplacement um, in Brooklyn is repeating itself. I mean, the neighborhood is gentrifying, but is it repeating itself in a sinister way. So you get to know a lot about the history of Brooklyn. There is um, a heritage center called Weeksville, which is mentioned in the book, which is, uh, it's an institution. They have a lot of the housing that Black people used to live in, in Brooklyn, like way back in the day. I had gone to this, uh, to Weeksville when for a book event, actually, uh, Jacqueline Woodson's Red at the Bone, they threw the, the book party for it at the Weeksville Heritage Center. So it was really interesting to see all of this history of neighborhoods that Black people used to inhabit and how they were taken over for uh, one reason or another. I mean, you can take a look at the African burial ground, which is near the World Trade Center, which was like kind of a fight to have that ground consecrated. And then of course there was Central Park where a black community was basically destroyed to make room for Central Park. So she touches on um, a lot of those things as she is doing this exploration into what is happening in her neighborhood. So it's a little bit of a thrill. It's a little bit, you know, lurking suspense, horror, and a little bit of a love story. So Okay. My next book is a book that I talked about last year. I think it was last spring, Transcendent Kingdom by Yaa Jesse. And it is about a woman who grows up in in Alabama. Um, She is 
her her father is um father abandons the family when they're young and moves back to Africa, leaving his wife and two children to, you know, basically live out their lives. He ne- she never sees him again. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I think she actually does see him. She does go to Africa to see him many years later, but she basically grows up with just a single mother and she has an older brother who is addicted, becomes addicted to painkillers after a sports injury. And, when her brother ends up dying from his drug addiction, she kind of becomes very driven academically and goes to college, becomes a scientist and moves out to California. And it's all about lots of tensions in her life. Racism is definitely not, it's just one of many themes that go throughout this book. Um, But she talks a lot about kind of her own conflict with faith versus science and the notion of loyalty to her family versus, you know, feeling the need to escape. Um, there's, it's, she's a very complicated woman. Her name is Gifty. And um, I read other, her other book, which is Homecoming, which traces the history of two sisters, two half-sisters, um, one of whom stays in Africa and one of whom comes to America on a slave ship and then the many, many generations that followed them, which is this kind of sweeping history of these two these two strains of the same family. This book is a lot smaller and it's a lot quieter. And it's really about Gifty's interior mind and how she's reconciling you know, many different aspects of her life and becoming who she is. And, and a lot of the challenges she faces along the way, um, both facing kind of institutional racism in education and in sciences, and then just also her feelings about her mother and her guilt over her brother. So um, I, I really like this one. It's, it's a very different feel than her first one. So people who are huge fans of Homecoming, I think, have gotten to Transcendent Kingdom and been a little like perplexed just because it's not, it, it just, they read like two very different books because they are two very different books, but I really like this one. And I found her to be like this kind of wonderfully complicated textured character that just made me think a lot. That is on the great shelf next to my bed. <laughs> the teetering shelf. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't read Home Go- Going. Um, but uh, it is on, it's not on that shelf. It's not on the 2020 shelf, but it is on a shelf. I probably will read Transcendent Kingdom first, I think. I think it is an easier book to get through. Homecoming is dense. And the thing about Homecoming is you, each chapter is a different generation. Changes. Right. And right. and also you've, so you've got, it's not even one line of a family. It's two lines. You have to really keep track. I believe you have the print version, it sounds like. So there, I think there is a family tree in the beginning, (gasps) which I highly recommend. I might have to read that this year because if you remember from last episode, when I talked about prompts on the pop sugar Mm, book challenge. Is there a family tree on there? One was a book with a family tree in it. There you go. (laughs) There's your book. Uh, I'm going to look around for other options just in case homecoming, home going is not on the, I can't make it onto the docket. Yeah. It's, a re- but, it's really good. I think between the two, I'd actually prefer 
Homegoing? I think I prefer Homegoing, but they're just such different books. Um, they're just, they're very different experiences. And so you just kind of have to have different expectations going in. So another author that you're a completist for. Yeah. So make note for our completist show. Yeah. Now, Jesse. The last book that I'm going to mention is No One Is Coming to Save Us by Stephanie Powell. And this dovetails with something that I will go into more in the next episode. I will make a note for myself because I had actually meant to mention in our little newsy section that The Great Gatsby is now out of, is in the public domain. So everyone and their mother is writing Great Gatsby. Um, Great Gatsby adaptations. And I have to be hyperbolic right now because I don't have the list to back this up, but I think that there are at least three that I can think of that are coming out this year that are adaptations of The Great Gatsby now that it's fair game. So next show, I will do a little research so I can tell you what those are and also tell you other books, other authors of interest or other books that have entered the public domain this year, because I think it was, sometimes it's really exciting. You know, like you get like books that you really maybe would want to see an adaptation of. And sometimes it's more obscure things that, you know, you necessarily may not care too much about. But I think this year's list, I think some Edith Wharton is on there too. So I have to, I have to look, but I will report back on that. And this just came to my mind because no one is coming to save us, even though I don't agree with it. It was just vaguely related to The Great Gatsby. That was the comp for this book, which I think might have been damaging because I think it was probably hard to see it for what it was. Uh, it's very loosely, I guess you could say, follows a structure that The Great Gatsby did. It's about um, this man named JJ who... Date, you know, his high school sweetheart, they grew up in Pinewood, North Carolina. He goes off, he really makes it big, comes back, and he decides to build a mansion, a huge mansion in his hometown of um, Pinewood, North Carolina, and to reconnect with Ava, the woman he was had been involved with. So it has just so much detail about Black life, Southern life, small town life. Um, you know, his experiences of going out into the world and how the community welcomes him back or doesn't, how he interacts with the community and whether his relationship with Ava um, has merit and I guess can be saved or can be advanced. It was such a good book. It um, The author's name is Stephanie Powell. It was when Sarah Jessica Parker was picking books for, I think, the ALA uh Library Book Central, I think it was called. This was her first pick. So even before she had her imprint, this was the book that she was championing. And I don't know, I did. it was on a lot of lists. I don't know that I heard a lot about it. And I just, I don't know. I think sometimes things suffer from, you know, I think the description was it had elements of The Great Gatsby. Mm. But it it's, you know, completely different but really good. All right. So my last book that I want to talk about for this episode is a book I read like 10 years ago. So it's an old book. It is called Jump at the Sun by Kim McLaren. 
And it is about a black woman who's living outside of Boston with two daughters. And she's a stay-at-home mom, and she's feeling very unfulfilled. And it traces back her, goes back two generations to her mother and her grandmother. Um, her grandmother who grew up in Mississippi and was a very selfish woman who abandoned her family. And then her mother, who kind of pendulum swung the other way. And she was a very fiercely devoted mother who sacrificed everything for her kids. And so you have Grace, who's got these two models of the two extremes. And now she's trying to reconcile her own feelings about motherhood. And, you know, how does she, you know, figure out how to be happy and fulfilled and yet still be the loving mother that she wants to be? So it's really all about parenthood and suburban life. And, you know, just with these kind of very fascinating family history. So I don't think this book got lots of attention when it came out, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm happy to give it a little bit of uh, attention again, 10 years later. Sounds good. Yep. Yeah. So that I just want to mention briefly, some that we've really talked about on the show, some that are older that I feel like fall into either you know, some will give you some perspective on racism. Others are just about black people living their lives and you should check them out. Um, and Gail, feel free to hop in. Some of these we've mentioned, um, quite a bit, but I go to them because they're so good. The Taste of Salt by Martha Southgate, which I think she is, she's a scientist who is trying to help her alcoholic brother and just like thinking about what her relationships will be with her family and her brother. And like, what do you owe family? I really love that book. Kindred by Octavia Butler is the time travel novel about a California woman who's in an interracial marriage in the seventies, goes back in time to, I think, 1800s Baltimore, where she is tasked with saving the life of this um, this white child who, even though his family is slave owners, will go on to um, to create her ancestry line. So she all, she has to save him in order to exist, <laughs> literally. So it's all about her complicated feelings with her relationship with Rufus. Uh, Silver Sparrow by... Tyari Jones is always a good one. It's about these two families. Um, the sisters discover that I think one is the quote unquote legitimate child of their father and the other is the product of an outside relationship. So they discover each other and it's about their relationship and their families and that small town. Um, Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson is about this young woman who had a baby, decides that she is more interested in going to college, and she basically leaves her baby's father to raise the child. And as the book begins, it the child is grown, I guess, and is about to do a kind of like a sweet 16 ceremony. And it just goes back and forth into their past. Uh they are from two different classes. It's two black families, but one has is kind of descendants of um, 
the riots. They ran from the riots that were in, gosh, where did Trump have his rally this this year? It's just escaping me. Is it Oklahoma? Yeah, Tulsa. Tulsa. That's it. So one family is from Tulsa and it's kind of like how they had to flee and rebuild in Brooklyn. And then the other is just more of a around the way neighborhood boy who's grown up in Brooklyn and how their families react to them being together. So that's also a really good one. Gail, did you have any that you wanted to add in? Yeah. So I wanted to add in a couple more. Um, that kind of mother by Ramana Lam, which is about uh, a woman who adopts a black baby and sort of her feelings about her, her learning experience on how to be a mother to a black child, especially because I think she also has a white child who's the same age. And so roughly the same age. So it's kind of about her learning that her own limitations in how she's going to be able to kind of teach and help this child grow. There's only so much she will be able to identify with him. Um, there's also a book called Green by Sam Graham Felson about a boy who's growing up in Boston and attending pretty much an all-black school, but he's white. And so you kind of see the experience of a white person feeling like a minority and what that's like. And it's just about his, just his experience of, in some ways, reverse racism and like what it's, what it was like to be him. I thought it was a really interesting book, Um, but it's fiction. And then you mentioned at the beginning that there's some nonfiction, that sort of narrative nonfiction. I'd like to throw Real American in by Julie Lithcote Hames which is um, about her identity as a black woman growing up in a pretty white neighborhood and among a mixed family and about um, how she's kind of grown into her own black identity over the years. Yeah. For the narrative stuff, I would also add Memorial Drive by Natasha Trethewey and Black is the Body by Emily Bernard. Just fascinating stories of women's lives uh, one in, uh, in Black is the Body, she's a professor and I think she's married to a white man and she talks a lot about what, I guess, her deliberations w- with herself on what she should share with her white students when they ask her questions and how she navigates family matters. And then Natasha Trethewey's memoir is about her mom who was killed, I think, when she was 19. And uh, her... Yeah, she was, she was, her mom was killed by her stepfather when she was 19 and her parents are, were mixed race. So she touches upon growing up in Mississippi with mixed race parents. Uh, so I think that's it for the show. I think you have a lot of good, <laughs> good options to, um, take a look at. I think with the exception of a couple of books that Gail just mentioned, most all of them are own voices books. Yep. Um, And so, yeah, so that's our contribution to uh, learning about people, learning about race. That's our anti-racist, mostly fiction list. Nice. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Sorry for the technical issues we've had this year. Hopefully those are behind us and it'll be smooth sailing from here. And again, if you'd like to enter the contest for the Libro FM three-month free audiobooks giveaway, 
um, go to our website, The Readerly Report, and leave us a comment about a book you are listening to or excited to listen to this year. And until next week, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.